You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. 2021 was an incredible year for most asset classes. Uh, what about 2022? What's going to happen? Let me speak now to Chris Freud, who's co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. Now, Chris, we, we can't get into the semantics for various reasons of your strategy's performance over 2021. No. But I would imagine that you, your colleagues, and more importantly, your clients, had a very gratifying year. It was a very strange year, Lindsay. Uh, because, yes, they they did. I mean, the whole South African asset management industry, in fact, global asset management industry, had a stonker of a year, you know, having fantastic returns, you know, equity returns in the region of 30-odd percent. These are not ours. These are sort of broad index returns, yes. index-like returns, and, and, and balance fund returns of sort of 20-plus percent. I mean, these are fantastic returns when inflation is somewhere in the region of 5%. I and mean, this is... Hallelujah days. And who would have thought that in a year where we were still bedeviled with, you know, COVID and this global pandemic and, and you know, e- economies were sort of po- on sort of on life support systems and partially shut down still. So so a lot of my mates are saying, how the hell does this work, Chris? You know, the, the Main Street is, is shut and yet Wall Street is roaring ahead. And as you well know, it's it's Wall Street's job uh, to react to what it what it thinks is going to happen tomorrow, as opposed to what is happening today. And the general view, all the way back from November 2020, when the first very good vaccination news came out, I think from Pfizer or Moderna, the view was that you know this is a a sh- relatively short term issue, this COVID issue, and that it's not a sort of a structural economic imbalance and it will disappear quite soon. So economic growth will revert in time and and hence uh, markets went up in anticipation of that. Yes, they did. And of course, there's something that we'll expand upon later in the interview. But my general view is, as a layman and broadcaster, is that uh, something has changed. It changed at the end of last year and will continue into the new year. And that is the price of money. In other words, interest rates and the looming spectre of inflation, which has been looming actually now for for more than a year. Um, so things might sure. change unless it's unless it's managed responsibly. And I tend to think that after a, li- a few little wobbles, that um, the, the the price of money is being managed in a responsible fashion. Would you agree with me? Um, yes and no. What we're seeing this time around is something we've never seen before. In this, in the, with respect to the sort of price of money or the way central bankers are, are attempting to manage uh, monetary policy. They basically told us that they are going to be purposefully late in raising interest rates after a, this recession um, in order to be extra sure that um, the sort of economic implosion self-inflicted economic implosion from the hard lockdowns, you know, was over and that growth had, had got to a self-sustaining uh, path and had some traction. They said, we are going to be late. And boy, they were. So normally, interest rates would have been going up for quite a while already. You know, you don't need these recession-like emergency low interest rates when you've got a clear sense that the, the, the recession is over and the economy is on a recovery path. 
So, so that's that was very different. Yes. And then what's changed as well is if you cast your mind back, I don't know, even just three or four months ago, five months ago, the general view was that interest rates in America, for example, which are the you know the primary driver of global markets, were only going to start rising in 2023. And in fact, they were going to do so, they were going to ease off on sort of buying government bonds in this quantitative easing only in September 2022. Well, fast forward just a few short months, and that view has completely accelerated so that today as we speak, after those Fed minutes that we got last week, mm -hmm. today as we speak, the, the consensus view is that the Federal Reserve in the U.S. will put up interest rates four times this year, in 2022, and they were, remember, they were only supposed to start in 2023. And not only will they stop QE, which is stop buying bonds, but they will do something called QT, which is quantitative tightening, or just another fancy phrase for letting their bonds that they've purchased mature and run off their book. So, so the whole monetary policy view and outlook has really changed in the last you know, two or three months, especially in the last three weeks. How did they get it wrong, Chris? Because I've been speaking to a particular commentator who's a regular on my show for around about 13, 14 months about inflation. And every morning I would get up and have a look at the Commodity Research Bureau Index and I look at iron ore and I look at the price of oats and the price of lithium and, and there's a whole mm. basket of commodities. And they kept on going up in small and sometimes large increments. Mm. And I said, how can the US Federal Reserve say that inflation is transitory when I see something completely different on the screen. I think they misread the situation and I don't know why they're going to have to cram in all these interest yeah. rate rises in, in a short space of time rather than do it gradually. I don't think it's as simple as that. I, I think there's a bit of a hindsight. Or you said it wasn't a hindsight bias. You guys had this view you know, in advance, but I don't think it was as simple as that because, you know, the Fed, clearly did get it wrong and they're, and they're owning up they got it wrong. But but what they thought, and, and it wasn't entirely unreasonable, was that a lot of the reasons uh, six, nine months ago that inflation was starting to warm up a lot were because of all the disruptions and dislocations related to sort of COVID-inflicted economies. You know, things like airfares recovering from their sort of uber-low you know, almost zero like airfares uh, 24 months ago when this thing hit and car prices going through the roof because there's, you know, this famous chip shortage, et cetera. And that once these things had, uh, once the global supply chains had normalized um, and we'd also anniversary the sort of 12-month base effect of the sort of massive recoveries, COVID-related price recoveries, then, in fact, inflation would settle down because there were no structural inflationary pressures in the system. So that was their thinking. So what changed, how they got it wrong, was, first of all, these the sort of supply chain issues haven't normalized as fast as we all thought they were going to. You know, the, the sort of this deglobalization that's going on where it's sort of every country for themselves now to try and ensure that they've got – sufficient uh, parts and, 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 and supplies has, has meant uh, that the, sort of the, 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 sort of the import-export chains have been clogged up. Uh, then we've had COVID, um, 
just not going away. And the Fed thought it was going to go away. So did we. Um, and it didn't. So, you know, the Chinese closed their ports at the drop of a hat every time, you know, three people get, get COVID there. Yeah. So that really didn't, didn't help matters at all. And then I think lastly, the oil price did its thing as well. So it changed the, the headline, not core, but it changed the headline inflation numbers for the worse. And that's quite a tricky thing to forecast the oil price. So I have some sympathy for, for the Fed getting it wrong. I don't, and also, by the way, all those things that you're talking about, um, you know, commodity prices and lithium and iron ore, whatever, that's a very small portion of the inflation basket. I mean, the goods goods is a small portion of the inflation basket. Services is the big inflation component. And within services, shelter costs are the biggest and majority of, of the services. So, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot that goes into these inflation forecasts. Yes, and very well put. It's not our job to talk about macroeconomics, but it provides a, an interesting foundation for what I'm going to ask you about now, and that is um, your role as co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91. And let's start with SA Equity. What a fascinating year. I mean, as, again, as a layman, I look at it and I think what stands out for me uh, on the JSC Securities Exchange is delistings and the divergent sector performances within that asset class of equities. Give me a, a brief synopsis of what do you your um, 2021 assessment is? 2000, looking backwards. At looking back to, in order to look yeah, forward, sure. yeah. So as you say, delistings is always a bloody shame when it happens in South Africa because this universe of, of opportunity just continues to shrink. It normally happens when private players sense there's unreasonably good valuation in the market and there's sort of some, there's some sort of opportunities, long-term opportunities because because uh, some reasonably quality companies are just trading too cheap and they come in and they offer a fat 20, 30% discount to what's a really cheap number and they, and they delist the company. And that has happened a lot and that's a shame. But in terms of the different sectoral outlooks, we happen to have at 91 a reasonable, reasonably good year for our clients in terms of equity selection. And it was really based on a lot of the what we call the SA Inks, the sort of more domestically orientated companies like the sort of banks and retailers recovered in price quite a lot as the market came around to the view that that things were less bad than they expected. Not that they were good. No one's suggesting that, you know, the economy was on fire last year, but they were just not as bad as people initially thought, especially the things like the bank provisions and stuff like that have been well documented that they're overprovided initially. Okay. So we had quite a good year there. And then the some of the, the platinum stocks had a very bumpy year, doing initially very well, then then really doing badly. So if you got your timing on those right, uh, you could also could also make some money. Let's have a look forward to 2022 if we can now, because that's the what people really want to hear. They want to hear sure. what you think. In a sure. rising interest rate environment, well flagged as it is, are there going to be changes? Will you be looking at your portfolio and saying, goodness me, look what we did in 2021, but now we have to adjust to new economic conditions the, of which we've spoken over the last few minutes? No, not really, hey, because we and the rest of the world knew that interest rates were going to go up. We just didn't think they were going to go up this fast. But the general direction was 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 well flagged, as you said, and well known. And hence, I don't think we're going to need to make too many changes to our portfolio. I do have a view that 
global economic growth is going to be very strong this year. Uh, you know me, I'm a, my cross to bear in life is being a perennial optimist. <laughs> and yes, Omicron is going to, is, is already in quarter four last year and in quarter one this year is going to have a dampening impact on the services parts of many economies, principally in Europe and to a lesser extent the US. But this particular strain doesn't look like it lasts too long. The cases go up very fast and they come down very fast. And so from about quarter two onwards this year, I personally think that global growth is going to be really strong because although interest rates will be going up, they're starting at a very low level. And and it's it'll be difficult to argue that monetary policy is restrictive. It's just becoming slightly less wonderfully accommodative. So that's going to have some impact on certain shares. I think the cyclical shares could do in, in, in broad terms reasonably well. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if those platinum shares I referred to earlier on, which came back a lot in the second half of last year, have another go, have another run because palladium and rhodium, you know, um, shortages resurface as, as cars around the world start to get produced in a much bigger number. Then, then also on the, on the SA Inks, although they have recovered the banks and retailers, I personally think there's at least one more year of what I call recovery or fixed profits before they get to a, a more sort of mature level of sort of economic profits. You're still going to see. What does that mean? Sorry, Chris. What does a mature level of economic profits mean? Give it to me. Give it to me straight. Well, I mean, they have to. They have to recover still. They've they've still got this abnormally low base, which was decimated in 2020 COVID issues. So, so for example, in South Africa, you know, most of our big banks have got December year ends. So we're going to get their results in the next uh, month or so, or six weeks. We're going to get their 2021 results and the profits are going to grow by, I don't know, anywhere up between sort of 80% odd, all right, which sounds fantastic, but actually it's not really. It's just sort of normalizing off a diabolically low base in 2020. So that's not the issue. The issue is like once we've got the 2021 results, do we get sort of 5 to 8% earnings growth for our big banks in 2022? And I don't think so. I think we're still going to get sort of like 12 to 18% growth in 2022, which is above the long-term growth rate of our banks. There's still some normalization of the bad debt charges that in other words need to come down a bit. And transactional volumes are going to sort of recover a bit from where they were last year. So this is the last year where banks' earnings are going to grow abnormally strongly, 2022. Then from 2023 onwards, you know, we should go back to nominal GDP growth, which is in the region of sort of seven or eight percent and plus a little bit more if they're doing a good job. That's what I mean by that. Okay. And very briefly, other asset classes, because also your position is uh, co-head of multi-asset. What other asset classes, apart from SA equity and equities in general, are you looking at? Bonds are a really interesting. SA bonds are a really interesting thing right now, really interesting asset class, because like a good two-handed economist, (laughs) on the one hand, I could say to you, global developed market interest rate, bond rates, are going up. They have already jumped by 20, 30-odd points in the first couple of trading days this year. And it's highly likely that the U.S. 10-year Treasury uh, yield rate of around 1.7, 1.8% is going to go up quite a bit more over the next year. That should be – that's bad for their price. Higher yields means you can make a capital loss. 
And so you lose money if that happens in development. So that should be bad for South African bonds or all bond markets around the world. On the other hand, sometimes SA bonds trade more like shares than bonds. And what I mean by that is that um, they trade on the sort of more on, on, on risk as opposed to yield movements. In other words, if, if global growth is nice and strong and, and the water is warm, then, then the sort of the outlook for for sort of South African economy is 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 good. Tax receipts, the outlook for tax receipts is good, and in fact, our yields are very high right now. So our bonds look very cheap right now. So, so in fact, that that scenario would suggest that bond yields in South Africa have space to fall, and you make money as bond yields fall. So there's this countervailing force, and I don't really know. Which is going to be the winner? I, I, I have, I have to, it's my job to have a view on these matters and, and, and to have a considered view. And yes. for what it's worth, we, we have a sort of slightly long position in SA bonds, uh, you know, quite a big position with the view that there's still the scope for, 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 for bond yields to fall and, and for price, bond prices to go up is greater than will more than offset the effect of rising bond yields. So the the 9.5% 10-year bond yield in South Africa, which was the last time I looked at it uh, this morning on my my screen, uh, presents an opportunity, uh, provided, of course, that the RAND behaves itself, Chris. Oh, the RAND's going to behave itself. Since I've been 26, people have been worried about the RAND. The RAND is nothing more than uh, (laughs) an emerging market, another emerging market currency. It's not special. It just feels special because we live here and we have to put up with all the political shenanigans that go on around you. So what moves the RAND are are global events. On a weekly basis, we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot with, you know, lights going off or something like that. But actually, that rapidly corrects itself. On on, on anything more than a one- or three-month view, the RAND just takes its cue from what's going on with all the other emerging market currencies. So what's your view on all the other emerging market currencies? Well, first of all, the kahuna of emerging market currencies is China, the renminbi. We take our lead. That's the sort of north star of emerging market currencies. Last year, it was strong, and it certainly helped stabilize all EM currencies as it sort of held a very strong line. Secondly, emerging market currencies like growth, and don't like it when global growth falls over. So if growth is going to be strong this year, then the broad asset class of emerging market forex should behave itself. So I don't think this time next year the rand is going to be the rand dollar exchange rate is going to be that different to where it is today at where somewhere around where is it the 1560 1570 level. And if you really push me into a corner and say you've got to choose one way, is it going to be slightly stronger or slightly weaker? I would say the rand dollar exchange rate is going to be slightly stronger this time next year as opposed to slightly weaker because global growth is still going to be strong and that is a useful environment for EMFX. I would never try to push you into a corner, Chris, because I know that I would come off worse. So thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much for your lengthy analysis and excellent analysis. Chris Freund is the co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.